uh, for several weeks, quite a few weeks actually, we've been going through spiritual gifts. And we came to the section on healing and uh, upcoming soon will be one on miracles. And one of the things we wanted to do is to uh, create an opportunity for people to share some of the things that they've experienced in their life. Um, things that they attribute completely to God and um, works of God in their lives, answers to prayer, whether it be physical healing or other things of that nature, and where they just want to have an opportunity to testify to God's goodness. And um, we're just, uh, I know there was a, a list, uh, a lot of people raised their hands last week that wanted to share something. I think we got through three. What we're going to do is we're going to do one uh, each Sunday, we have a little slot right here, and we're just going to say, if, if you're one of those people that had something to share, you may be here, and you're like, I got something to share, uh, and we would love that. We'll get to it, but we also had a lot of people already had their hands raised, so we're going to kind of start there, and if, um, if there's someone this morning that would be ready to share a, a testimony to a work of God in your life or something you've been around and experienced um, that you want to testify and give him praise for, is there someone who would be willing to do that this morning? All right, here we go. Jackie, come on. Hand went up like a rocket. Hello, everybody. My name is Jackie. I work for Campus Outreach with my husband, Nick. And this just happened yesterday, so I'm just really fired out of fired up about it. But at Western, as many of you know, we have a thing called Valley Ballyhoo, where all the students come up and they just hear about different clubs and different organizations. And this year, we did not get placed with the other ministries. We're in this random spot right when the freshmen walk in and we tried something different where we did surveys. And normally I would say I maybe get like 30 girls numbers. Our students went out and we got 240 people interested in CO. And I mean, that's just amazing. Like that's literally amazing. Because if you think about it, maybe 90% of them aren't Christians. And if those, just say 100 people come to faith, that's a movement. That's a game changer. And we are begging y'all to beg with God for us that those 240 people hear the gospel and that their lives change and their lives change. And that's what we're about. So it's more of an encouragement of that. And also just please pray with us. Like we want those 240 people that we met to hear the gospel and we want eternities to be changed. So that's really all I have. I'm just like excited about it. So I had to share it. Okay. Thank you. Uh, that was short enough and sweet enough that we have time for another. Is there anyone else? All right, come on, Mike. Praise God. Up here a lot today, sorry. My name is Mike, and I have two. They'll be short, I promise. Um, the first one when, it was when I was a kid, um, and I was talking to my cousin about this last week. Um, it was a story about how God spoke, and it was an incredible way that he did it. My brother had lost his pager in the woods. You all know what a pager is? If you're old enough, you may know what a pager is. A beeper. No, he was not a drug lord. He did not have it for that. He, he had it for a business that my dad had. But anyway, he was, he was playing in the woods. He was doing manhunt the night before. And as he was in the woods, he lost his pager. And he was probably 13 or 14 at that time, which was basically life ending for him. So they were out in the woods looking for it. And I had come over because I wasn't living at home at that point, And I walked, uh, I walked in and asked my mom, where's the boys? 
She said, well, they're out in the woods looking for the pager. And behind our house is thousands of acres of woods. I mean, thousands. So I thought it was kind of silly that they're looking for this pager because they're never going to find it. Well, I started walking out towards them. And I don't remember the story exactly what happened, whether I spoke to them first or whether I hadn't spoken to them first. But as I crossed the line of the property to go in the woods, the Lord spoke clearly. He said, walk 100 feet, turn left five feet, it'll be right there. And I said to myself, well, I got no other option here really because finding a little tiny black box in this thousands of acres, impossible, just not gonna find it. Well, I walked 100 feet, I turned left and I started walking. It was hanging on a branch right there. Couldn't believe it, shocked me. So that was the Lord's goodness. Total circumstance, 100%. The second one is, is, is quick. I hope that was quick. Was that a quick one? Okay, okay. So the second one, I had to brag on my daughter because she's sitting right there. I was a new parent. Beatrice was just born. And for months before, I was very concerned about her name. And the Bible has, you know, names in the Bible are very, very significant. So I was concerned about her name. And she was my first one, so I wanted to kind of do it right. Uh, the second and third, eh, you know, wasn't a big deal. The first one, super important to get it right. So I'd been asking the Lord, Wendy and I had come up with a couple different names and kind of settled on one. Beatrice was born and immediately Wendy said to me, she is not a Megan, we're not naming her Megan. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't know what to name her. So my wife, who is a saint, sent me home to sleep for the night, God bless her. So as I was going to sleep, I was almost asleep, just right there, you guys know what that is, right? And the Lord said, her name should be Beatrice. And I was like, I ain't naming my daughter some old fart lady name. It is not going to happen. Forgive me if your name is Beatrice in here and you're older. I apologize. So I tried to start to go back to sleep. And he said, her name will be Beatrice. And she will be a blessing and a bringer of joy. So I said, okay. And I just went to sleep. And the next morning I woke up and I went to the hospital to see my wife. Um, and I walked in, I said, good morning. And I didn't say much to her. I walked across the room. We had a baby book that was sitting there. And the baby book had all the names that you could pick, name your baby and the meanings of those names. Walked over, grabbed the book, picked it up, opened it up, Beatrice. Guess what it said? Blessing and bringer of joy. And I just closed the book and I walked over to my wife and said, hey, got a name. And she said, what's the name? I said, Beatrice. She says, there's no way we're naming our daughter an old fart lady name. It's not happening. And I said, well, sweetheart, you can do whatever you want. But the Lord just spoke clearly. And her name is Beatrice. And if you've met her, she is a blessing and a bringer of joy. Thank you. That's fun. That's fun. Okay. Um, If you have a Bible and you're going to follow along, turn to Daniel chapter 5. And this time of year represents a lot of time when we're going through different changes and people are rethinking 
um, commitments. Um, society generally operates along a school calendar kind of mindset, and we do too. Um, it's just part of the ebb and flow of the world we live in. And today I want to talk to you about uh, two different worldviews. And one worldview is going to be represented by a man, I'm going to read chapter 5, named Belshazzar. And he represents the world and power and the world's glory and um, everything the world has to offer. And then another man named Daniel is going to represent the, what we would now call the, the Christian worldview or the worldview of faith in God, the God of Scripture, the God of the Bible. And so I'm going to read through these. But before I do, I, I want to read, uh, just in case I know you, I assume there's probably a few people that are here uh, for the first time. And I, I just want to establish something as far as our church uh, I want to read Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, and it's a declaration of what we believe about God's Word. And it's very important because everything that we do flows from our conviction about the Word of God and the Word of God being authoritative and um, infallible, inerrant Word of God. And so this, this passage tells what we believe can happen every single Sunday. We bring this expectation when we study the Word of God, when, we, when people go and read the Bible in a quiet time or a devotional time with God. And when you're witnessing and when we preach God's Word or when we sing God's praise, we believe that from the Word of God we uh, have this power and this life-giving force when the Word of God is accompanied by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit breathes and blesses upon God's Word in such a way that this is the kind of thing that we anticipate and actually have come to expect to happen week after week. And if you lead Bible studies or you witness and you see the power of God's Word, I just want you to know that, make it very clear up front that this is one of the scriptures that explains our conviction about what we try to do here. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, For the Word of God is living and active. So we do not believe we preach a dead book or a dead message. It's living, a living Word of God and active, which means it works. It's working right now, sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's not just physical sharp, spiritually sharp. It's as a spiritual edge that can cut into the very soul, the very fabric and fiber and being, not just of our physical being, but it will... It will cut you spiritually, not to harm, but to heal. And then it says, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Like when, we, when you come here, we expect that at some point you're going to feel something that strikes your mind and your heart in a way that you go, hmm, how did, how did they know that about me? Or how did... God uncover that area in my life and you're going to feel that at times and it's because of what it says in verse 13 no creature is hidden from his sight but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account so we come just so you know every week we have the expectation that we're going to sing praise to God and then it's going to please him and our praise comes out of the knowledge of God that he gives us in his word and even as we're sharing testimony and some of our own experiences about how God can speak to us and direct us and guide us. And then we come to His living Word. And our posture when we come to the Word of God is to sit or to kneel and bow 
our, our soul posture, whether you're doing that physically or not, uh, spiritually, the right posture to receive a blessing from God's word is a posture of kneeling or bowing before God and asking him to speak through his living, active word and to actually cut and heal and do surgery in us week by week by week. So just so you know that that's the conviction, the hope, the expectation. That's what we're praying for to happen every single Sunday. And I hope that's what you pray when you go to a Bible study or you meet with God alone and pick up his word and say, Lord God, would you, the great surgeon of the soul, would you cut where it needs to be and take out anything that's not good in there and and work and bring healing for me. So that's the expectation that we bring when we proclaim God's word. So before I read Daniel 5, I'm going to pray and ask God to do that very thing for us right now. Our Father in heaven, we, we just bow before you and we lay open our hearts. We live very busy lives, clouded, packed with activity. And it's very hard for us to slow down and wait upon you. So I pray right now, oh God, you would come into this building, into this room, and we call upon you, oh God, to speak to our hearts. Take your living word and your careful, loving scalpel and work in our hearts and just cut carefully, wisely, and do surgery inside of our soul and our hearts today, God. Whatever is the need, there's all variations of need right here in this, in this building. But you're capable of ministering to any single person that would entrust the scalpel into your hands. And so we bow before you right now, God. And Lord, we can expect that everyone who opens their heart to you will find that you have just the right ointment, just the right medicine. Would you work freely and move powerfully in our midst, O oh God, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I want to read Daniel chapter 5, and then I'm going to explain two things. We're going to talk about a king named Belshazzar, and he's from the ancient kingdom of Babylon or the Chaldeans. This is real history, real world stuff. You can go Google Babylon, and it's real history. We didn't make this stuff up. And then we're going to talk about another man by the name of Daniel, and he's a character that we meet in God's Word. God gives us history lessons and accounts and stories from his great work in history. So someone would say, why would we bother to go back and study something that happened 500 years before Christ came? 2,500, uh, let me see, 500, years ago. Why are we, we're so smart and intelligent, aren't we? We don't need anything from the past. But our God has a history of working. And we pick up this book and read because we want to hear of his great accounts and things he's done. And the same God is working today. So that's why we do that. And now we're going to read this account. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem to be brought that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the vessels 
golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So you get the picture. We have a pagan king worshiping his gods and mocking and trying to display, to drink from the cup of the god of the Israelites that they captured and carried to Babylon was to mock them and show it's to announce their superiority over the other gods. Like in the treasures that they would collect from war, they would bring their treasures back and sometimes they would drink from the the golden goblets and the, the, the silver plates and all this other stuff that they, so the superior nation of Babylon wanted everyone to know are, were superior. And so they would bring out their treasures from their captives and drink from them. So they're partying big time, celebrating their great gods and their wealth and their mighty empire. And by the way, they did serve a mighty empire. It was a world power. Okay, so immediately the fingers, they're having this party and something quite disturbing takes place. Immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. It doesn't say someone stood up and with their fingers. It doesn't say that um, someone dangled a puppet down and there were strings attached. A literal hand came out of nowhere and started writing on the wall. Now that would make people wonder how much they'd been drinking, I suppose. Okay, so it says that he wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand, and the king saw the hand as it wrote. The king saw with his own eyes. Then the king's color changed. His thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. So I love that about the Bible. It does go and the king yawned and go, huh, there goes another one writing on the wall. The Bible tells us that the king had never seen anything like this in his life. It was a miracle of God. He acted like it was a miracle of God. He was stunned and he didn't know what to do and he was deeply troubled. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans and the astrologers. In other words, he was saying he was gathering up the best people he could think of in his worldly empire who might be able to figure out what was going on. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. In other words, anyone who shows me this, I'm going to give them of my worldly wealth a place of prominence and wealth. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation The king Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his color changed and his lords were perplexed. So everyone is deeply bothered by what's happening. Parties like came to a screeching stall. If you want to know how to end the party, just have a hand show up and write on the wall. It'll do it every time. Okay. The queen, because of the the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall and the queen declared. So no one could figure out what was going on and in comes this queen. And the queen says, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom. She knew of one man in their whole kingdom. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. Now that was her view that there were many gods. Truly there's only one gods. But she said there's a guy who has a relationship with one of the gods or something. 
in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your dad, your father the king, made him the chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar, Belteshazzar, Belteshazzar there. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. So here's the situation. We have a king who is the most powerful man that anyone maybe could have been the most powerful man in the world at that time. The Babylonian Empire, the empire of the Chaldeans was huge. And then you have this older man, this old man named Daniel, who he's sort of forgotten. He had his day, his king, his dad had honored him. Belshazzar doesn't even remember who he is. His queen just so happens by the hand of God. God had a, him married to a queen who remembered this man that had in the, his dad's, during the day that his dad reigned, was a great spiritual man. And he, she says, there's this guy, I think, that might be able to explain to us what's going on. Then Daniel, verse 13, was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you, and that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me the interpretation. But they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, that shall be clothed, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be third ruler in the kingdom. So King Belshazzar says, if you can solve this riddle for me, I'll make you wealthy and powerful. And Daniel said to the king, let your gifts before you, uh, let your gifts be for yourself. Give your rewards to another. It's like, I'm not interested in that. I don't, need, I don't need what this world has to offer. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all people's nations and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed. Whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. Whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. There was a change that occurred in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. And it's where Nebuchadnezzar was knocked off his throne. And he acknowledged the true God. And that's what needs to happen in your life. You need to be knocked off the throne. You have no business being on a throne. And you may think that you do. And you may think you're the only one that knows what you need to do in your life. You may think you're the one that needs to make the decisions. No one else has the right to tell you what to do. And you're going to destroy your life. As long as you try to be on the throne. And the kindest mercy of God is to knock you off that throne so that you, for the first time in your life, bow and you recognize someone much greater than yourself needs to be on the throne. And the Bible tells us there's only one. 
There's only one who can guide you and who will love you and who will lead you. And that is King Jesus. There's one king. You need to have one king in your heart. And Jesus, when you bow, will be the greatest day in your life when you bow to Jesus. As long as you usurp his authority and you keep fighting for that position of power and authority like no one tells me what to do, no one can tell me what I'm supposed to do. I am young. I am invincible. I do my own thing. I'm an American. I have the right to do things my way. And as long as you continue to live that way, you will utterly destroy your life. And the sooner that you give your life and you come off the throne and you just say, Lord God, I have made a mess of my life. I'm not capable of navigating everything that's going to face me in life. I not only need a guide, I need a Savior. And the Lord Jesus will come as soon as you're willing to step off that throne. He will come into your life and He will save you from your sins and He will come to live in you and He will take up place, a residence inside your heart. He will spiritually enter into your heart by the Holy Spirit and it's called the indwelling of the Spirit of God. He will send the Holy Spirit. Jesus claimed before He left this world, I will send my Holy Spirit and He will teach you all truth and guide you in the way. He will strengthen you. He will help you grow in grace He will bring you under conviction of sin when you take a wrong turn. He will bring healing when you need healing. He will be there when you feel alone and He says, I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He will enlighten you. He will take the Word of God and begin to open it up and open up spiritual truths to you that you could have never known apart from the Spirit of God. And He will begin to work changes in your life and you will. I promise you, I guarantee you, that if you will come off that throne today and put Jesus there, then this will be the greatest day in, the, in your life. It will be the game changer. And there are people sitting in this room who can testify that the best day, the most significant day in my life is when I got myself off that throne and I bowed and asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. That is the great, those are the two different worldviews. One worldview is you sitting on the throne. The other worldview is Jesus on the throne. Those are the only two worldviews in existence. And I'm going to promise you which one's the better. And as long as you're on that throne, you will self-destroy. You will self-destruct. And Jesus is asking you, why do you want to do that? Why do you want to self-destruct? Why do you want to call all the shots? Do you realize what terrible decisions you've already made? And do you realize the path that you're on? And there's no way you're going to navigate this life and end up where you want to end up without me. And it's a beautiful story of two worldviews. Well, God wrote something on the wall. And let's read a little bit farther and find out what happened. Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar's dad, came to a pivotal moment in his life. And he realized that he was the great king of Babylon. And he basically said, there is one greater than I. And it says, he was, here's what happened to him. When his heart was lifted up, he was very proud and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly. He was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was was with wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven. In other words, he lived almost like a wild animal. He was so low, he lost his mind. He literally went crazy until he knew the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets it over whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, now he's contrasting um, his dad, king of Babylon. His dad had been humbled. His dad was a much greater king, actually, 
than his son. In other words, his son inherited the greatness of his dad's kingdom. And he thought that he was great in and of himself. His dad, Nebuchadnezzar, was by far the greater king between the two. But he had to be humbled and acknowledge God. And he's telling his son. Now he's going to go into this little spill where he's saying, and, and Belshazzar, you learned nothing. The mighty work of God came, impacted your father, and you learned nothing. You ignored the work of God. So I just want to throw this out there to you young people. Don't ignore the God of your fathers. You're going to say, I do my thing. I'm on the throne. I'm better than my dad. I'm better than my parents. I'm better than those who've gone before me. Again, your dad might not be a Christian. So just think of anyone else. Just think of any spiritual leader that's out there. And you say, I don't need them. I don't need what that preacher said. I don't need what those people say. I don't need this ideology of Christianity. I don't need that. I run the show in my life and I'm going to do a better job than anyone else could. You're deceiving yourself and you're making the same mistake Belshazzar. Belshazzar had no interest in the spiritual people and the spiritual work of God that took place around him when he was growing up. He paid no attention. He couldn't even remember Daniel. Didn't even remember. Wasn't he? He had dismissed Daniel like, that's not the kind of people I want around me. I'm going to make my own path. I'm going to create the, carve out my own legacy as a king of Babylon. I'm going to run the show and I'm going to be king one day and I'm going to sit on that throne and nobody can tell me what to do, not even God Almighty. And so many people live their wife, life. They wouldn't say it out loud like that, but that's exactly what happens. That's exactly what you're saying when you want to be on the throne. You're really accusing God who created you as being incapable of leading you in a pathway that's better than the path you want to carve out for yourself. It's, it's the most daunt, it's the most ghastly contrast. It's like, I don't think you realize what you're doing. But you're saying that you can make things go better than God can. And you refuse to acknowledge him in that way. So it's the two worldviews. One worldview says, I'm on the throne, and that's what I choose. The other worldview says, God's on the throne, and that's what I choose. One worldview says, I'm the only one that can make me ultimately happy. Another one says, God is the only one who can make me ultimately happy. Two worldviews here. Let's see what they wrote on the wall. Okay, and you, this son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. In other words, Belshazzar was refusing. And though you knew all this, but you have lifted yourself against the Lord of heaven and the vessels of his house and have brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives, your concubines have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, stone, which you do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways you have not honored. So God has blessed you beyond measure and you think it's because you were good, but it was really the kindness of God. And now you're going to toss all that away because you refuse to acknowledge the goodness of God. And so it says, Then from his presence the hand was sent and the writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed, Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parson. This is the interpretation. So that's what was written No one knew what it meant. It wasn't a language anyone there understood. And it was a message from heaven. And all the wise men couldn't figure out what the message was. It was a game stopper at the party. The party stops. Message comes up on the wall. This had never happened before. They're all sitting there wondering, 
what is going on, and they, uh, they could walk out and choose not to listen, or they could try to find someone that understood. And so for those who stayed behind to listen because they were interested, they recognized something bigger than themselves was taking place, and they wanted to wait around. For those who are still waiting around, when Daniel comes in, and Daniel says, God can interpret this, and Daniel interprets it. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene. What does that first word mean? Mene. God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Mortality. In spite of all that he had and all he had, all he had accumulated, God was saying, your life will end very soon. And all the wealth in the world and all the power and prestige will not help you. Your days are numbered. Do you all know that? All your days are numbered. I drive by cemeteries every day. One day I'm going to have a plot or a spot where someone spread my ashes. I don't know. But I know, I recognize that I'm mortal. My life will come to an end. And I'm getting closer and closer. Every day that's one less day I have. If you're 20 and you live the expected life, if you're 20, you've already lived one-fourth of it. You think you're so young. You're one-fourth down. You live life expectancy 79, 80. If you're 20, one-fourth. If you're 10, one-eighth. If you're 30, three-eighths. If you're 40, four-eighths. That's one-half. That's if you live to life expectancy. You don't know if you'll do that because many people don't. Many people expect to live 80 and they live six. Many people expect to live 80 or 90. So, oh, I'm in good shape. My parents, my grandma lived to 100. You're not your grandma. You might have good genes, it's true. But good genes won't get you to 100. Only the grace of God will. But even if you live to be 100, then you're, then you're okay, you're one-fifth of the way instead of one-fourth. The whole point is, Mene, your days are numbered and your little kingdom you've tried to build is about to end. Tekel, you've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. To be weighed in the balances means you don't measure up. You don't have enough. There's not enough. Weighed in the balances and found wanting means you, let's say if you go to pay something in the ancient days and you had to use gold and they would measure the amount of gold you have, you put it on these scales and in order to pay for it, you had to have enough to tilt the scales. Let's say that they put a, a weight on there and the weight was five pounds or whatever and you had to have five pounds of coins or silver or something to offset the weight and therefore you could purchase something. And if it doesn't, if the, if the scales don't tilt, then you don't have enough. You're found wanting. You're found lacking. And God says you're being measured to stand before Almighty God. Your days are numbered and you're found wanting. You don't have enough. You're not going to pass the test. You're going to judgment. Your days are numbered, and you don't have what it takes. You don't have what it takes to pass the test. You'll go to hell. You won't make it through the day of judgment. And that's what that second word means. And then it says, Perez, your kingdom is divided and giving to the Medes and Persians. Everything you built, your life on is going to fall apart. 
the great Babylonian empire was getting ready to be overcome by the Persians and the Medes. His mighty, they, were, they were partying like crazy, thinking we are the mightiest kingdom in the world. And the mission was already underway. Well before this party, God had already raised the armies of the other countries and they were on their way and they were going to take down the mighty Babylonian empire because their time and their purposes of God was over. They had served their purposes and for a little while, God used the Babylonian empire to discipline His people. And the Israelites had wandered away from God and God had disciplined them with 70 years of captivity and told them during their captivity, you better return to God or your time's going to be up. And so now God is telling the king of Babylon that my purpose for you has been fulfilled and now you're going to be, all your mighty empire is going to be taken from you and someone else is going to sit on your throne. It's kind of like saying you come to the end of your life and you accumulated a lot of money and wealth, had streets named after you, businesses named after you. You say, oh yeah, I had this business, this business, this business, this business. I had this degree, this degree. I was important. People looked up to me and God says, it's all going to nothing. You're going to leave this world and no one's going to even care or remember you. And that's kind of what's happening. Everything you worked so hard to accumulate is going to be gone and someone else is going to have it. That big, beautiful house you bought someone and built, someone else is going to live in it. No one's going to care or remember. And that's what God is saying in this vision. And that's what the writing meant. And Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with a purple, a chain of gold and was put around his neck and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. In other words, the the king was given information. He thought to honor Daniel with worldly position and wealth. Daniel Daniel didn't care about that. And it says that very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years old. So in an instant, everything he lived for was gone. So here's what I want to bring to your attention one last time. I want to challenge you. Which worldview have you embraced? Everyone has a worldview. And there's there's really only two. Either you're on the throne or Jesus is. Yesterday, um, Jackie mentioned Valley Ballyhoo, and yesterday I was out there, and I, I've been many years and many years, and you walk around, and Valley Ballyhoo is like this amazing, you know, in Little Cullowee, our little community, Jackson County, I don't know, 40,000 people in Jackson County, and so in Valley Ballyhoo, there's at least a couple of thousand, I don't know how many, how many students are at Western now, 11, 12? 12,000 students, and Valley Ballyhoo is a crazy moment where a whole lot of them, um, several thousand people, I'm sure, are in this little circle. Um, A massive number of people rubbing shoulders, and there's tents everywhere, and every tent is someone summoning you. They're screaming, come here, come here, we'll accept you, we love you, we want you, we have something for you, sign here, join us. Um, if you're a Christian, you've got 600 options, it felt like, walking around. You're like, oh, this group, that group, this group. Wait, I just, oh, which, which Baptist, which ones are you, which ministry are you? Wait, are y'all the liberal branch, conservative? Y'all, um, you have room for gays and lesbians in your group? Okay, which church are you? Oh, you, you may not. You don't like my rainbows. Um, 
you walk around your head spinning. It's like, okay, pre-science, science. science um, I like to fish and hunt, uh, hunter's club, fishing club. I'm a snowboarder. Um, I'm golf, was everybody dressed in black. Um, I'm part of the tattoo club, Can who will receive me. Um, green hair club, that's me, purple. Um, Pre-med, pre-law, um, party boy, where's all the fraternity roads? Party girl, sorority row, where's all that? You're walking around and people are trying to find themselves and everyone's saying, come here, we love you, we'll love you, we'll accept you as you are, come on in here, we've got something for you, sign up with us, come with us. And you walk in this little tent village and it's nut, it's nutso. And you're supposed to be making meanings. You know, it's like, come join us for the best, best six years of your life. It used to be four. College used to be four. It's like, come join us for the best six years of your life. And you, you go there and you're hearing all these voices and you're supposed to make some of the most important decisions in your life. You're out there. You're independent. You're out there on your own for the first time. And you hear all these voices and everyone's saying, come here. We've got what you want. We've got what you will love you. We'll show you the way. We'll light your path for your future. Come here. Uh, education's the way. No, it's not. Fun's the way. Pleasure's the way. Partying's the way. Party your way through life. Whatever. All, so many messages coming at you. And you're, you, I could just imagine someone going back to their room and trying to even, they have no idea how many things they stuffed in their bag. It's like, what in the heck? I saw, I don't know where to go, what to do. My head is spinning. Who am I? And there's only two answers. Either I'm, I'm on the throne and I'm going to decide what I want to be. Or Jesus is on the throne and he's going to be my guide through life. Two options. And Jesus is saying, come under my tent. Come under my tent. I don't even know how a new Christian or a Christian would come to campus and even have the foggiest idea. Which one? Well, these people were nice. Well, everybody was nice yesterday. Everyone was nice. Everyone had something they were selling. So how in the world are you going to know what to do with your life? It's like, Lord Jesus, I need to come under your tent. And will you show me where I need to go? Will you show me how to worship you? What church do I go to? What club do I join? Lord Jesus, do you have room under your tent for me? Yes, I do. And that's when you say, okay, Lord, I'm going to get off the throne. I'm coming off the throne right now, and I give my life to you. It's just too much. I don't understand. It's confusing. It's so confusing. There's so many options. I don't know even. There's so many options that even look like really good options. Lord, I need a guide. I need a friend. I need a spiritual advisor. I need a savior. I need a king. And that's what I'm presenting to you. I want you to think back today on Daniel 5, and it represents two worldviews. And I just want to ask you, which, which one have you chosen? Which do you like better, the outcome? I know right now, currently, you probably like to be on the throne. That's our human problem. That's human pride. We like to be on the throne. But I want you to evaluate where's that gotten you so far and where do you possibly think that's going to go. I just want you to be honest. Just be really honest. Say, where, where, how am I going to end up differently than anybody else in this world if I'm on the throne? I will be cast off and everything like King Belshazzar, eventually everything I worked for is going to be left for somebody else. Or do I have Jesus on the throne like Daniel did? And I don't need the world because I find my true peace and joy in the next world and in the one who who my God and my King, I see Jesus. And so I just want to invite you today to think about 
these months, this place you're at in your life right now and just say, who's on the throne? And I don't feel very safe with me there. I want Jesus on the throne in my life. What a, what a great start to a semester. What a great start to the rest of your life. That's right where, that's the safest place anyone can be is to get off the throne. And there's only one person worthy to be on that throne. And that's Jesus. So that's what we're here to talk about today, to celebrate which two worldviews, Daniel's view or Belshazzar. You on the throne or Jesus on the throne? That's what's being presented to you, and I, I lay that offer out to you. We're going to close with a song, and as we do, I just want you to think about who's on the throne, and I want to pray right now for you, and maybe some of you would like to make a change to that right now. Some of you probably say, I, I need off the throne. And I'm going to give it to Jesus today. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that in the Bible you really do make clear. It's just so simple. Am I trying to run my life? Or do I trust you to run my life? Do I really think I can make things work out better? Or do you have a plan for me that's way better than any plan I could ever concoct? So Father, I pray right now, if there's someone here today and they just really need to change the throne around if you're right now, you've been living your life and you really resent anyone that tells you what to do and you've even resented God, I just pray right now that you can just ask God, Lord, forgive me for rejecting you. Come into my life and take the throne and lead me from this day forward. Thank you, God, that you have done everything necessary by sending Jesus to die on the cross. And Jesus is not only worthy because he is God, He's also worthy because he is a lamb who sacrificed himself on the cross that I might have my sins forgiven. Worthy is the lamb. And Father, I also pray for any of us here today. We just really need to come back under your tent. We've been out roaming around and we really haven't been. We've been trying to reestablish ourselves and we've been trying to direct our lives and make decisions and we really haven't been walking with you very closely. And we just come this morning to to reassert that you and you only belong on the throne of our lives. And so we come to you fresh this morning to commit and recommit. Lord, we want nothing more than the plan that you have for us and any alterations that you need to make in the path we're traveling today. And we set this next season before you. Oh, God, what a journey, what a wonderful journey it can be with you leading. I just pray right now, if there's anyone here today that wants to ask Jesus into your heart, then do that right now. Say, yes, Lord Jesus, please take me right where I am right now and take the throne. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.